Hi and welcome to the School Should Be podcast, a chance to hear from students, teachers and professionals to learn about all the things school should be. My name is Zahara and I am the founder of School Should Be. I've worked in schools for the past 10 years in a variety of roles from a classroom teacher to an education consultant. Schools are clouded by so many barriers, however my experience has shown me it is possible to overcome social and economic hurdles, archaic curriculum structures and be part of the unlearning process that our students and teachers need now more than ever. This podcast will explore a variety of themes, topics and viewpoints, all of which can make school a better place for students and teachers. I hope it helps you learn and smile along the way too. Please do leave a review, share and help us grow the School Should Be community. Right, let's get started. Hi Bilkis. Hi. How are you? I'm okay, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm really, really excited to speak to you today. Me too. The sun's shining. I've had my coffee. Yeah, I'm still having mine. And, you know, (laughs) we're going to be talking about your company, UBU, which is all about working with primary schools, parents, students and teachers, especially about tackling gender stereotypes and and gender diversity in, in schools, which is such an important topic and I don't even like calling it a topic, really, because it's more than that. Um, it's identity. And, and I'd just love to know from you uh, about why UBU, how it came about, your experiences um, that led you to starting it. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm Bill Kiss, the CEO and co-founder of UBU, spelt properly. So that's why are you? I mean, loads of people call it UBU. UBU as in the letters. Right. Um, But yeah, for me, it's been a professional and personal journey. I think growing up in a British Bangladeshi community and loving football, I was really outspoken. I hate this term, but I used to get called a tomboy. And it just made me feel quite isolated growing up and I didn't fit into my community necessarily. And on top of that, I am sadly an anomaly. I went to, on to, you know, study at university. I wanted a career. I wasn't focused on marriage. And that on top of my brother suffering from mental health issues and not having the support network to talk about his feelings made me think, hang on, what are we doing at primary school level? Like, because I remember going to school being bullied and not having any support around that. And if gender stereotypes start as young as five, which they do. Um, That's what the research says. And suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK. What are we doing to kind of tackle and nip this problem in the the bud? So I thought, hang on, I'm gonna do something about it. And to also rewind a little bit, because I know I'm jumping around. Um, I worked professionally in the city for a few years and I never saw leaders that looked like me Mm -hmm. and I think that's so powerful and you don't realize how important that is until you're kind of out of it but not seeing women especially women of color that look like me at leadership level let's not talk about graduate level leaders you know do being successful and having a seat at that board table it made me want to change things and that's how UBU came about I think that's amazing. Like, and I think even like for our student listeners, 
just to hear from you your career journey like which is I know slightly off topic but this idea that you studied you went to university you worked in the city and now you've set up uh, an organization or co-founded an organization which has stemmed from your experiences in the city and your personal and professional experiences but is now rooted in education so career journeys and paths don't need to be linear either agreed absolutely i think recent what, there's a recent research that says um currently you'll have about five career changes on average you know and it's okay and when you when I went from university I was like I've got to have that city job yeah. I've got to be slogging and that's what success looks like like make success what it is for you right what makes you happy but also find out what it is that makes you happy and you want to make a change and be an activist do that if you don't and you want to work in the city do that but find out what it is that you want to do I think that's so important and and ask people, but don't let your parents or, you know, your peers influence that. Find out what you, what makes you happy. I think that's the most important thing. And that is so, like, important when we're thinking about UBU in terms of um, gender identity and tackling gender stereotypes, because they can interfere in life choices and what you feel makes you happy compared to what supposedly society says should make you happy and I just love to ask you in terms of your work I'm a secondary school teacher so I get the kids you know 11 plus and so from that like like you said your the research shows that it's at age five perhaps even younger that these stereotypes and conscious and unconscious bias starts to form and take place what can you explain like how is it that we as teachers and parents might consciously and unconsciously stereotype gender so are there certain things that we say or do from a young age for two young children from the age of five that we could avoid or perhaps really think more about and address yeah absolutely so you're right it does start younger research shows that actually it starts as as young as be a baby in a bump um, in in the stomach in the womb and if society or people around you know that it's a girl they treat the bump differently mm. um, as opposed to a boy and you'll hear things like oh the boy's really active and the girl's like really passive in my womb and it's you know it's it starts really really young and parents and teachers can do small things to empower children to not only believe that they can do anything that they want but be expressive of who they want to be. And I think phrases, the power of language is important. And that's a small but absolutely amazing change mm. that we all can do from today, from after this podcast, right? So using phrases like, oh, boys will be boys or telling a boy to man up, no. Like, what does that mean? Like, what what, what is a man? To me, to, you know, a, a, a good man, well, a man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's someone that can show, yeah, we can't get into the philosophical debate about what's yeah. good, but, yeah. but, you know, um, it's about being vulnerable. It's about helping others. It's about being open and transparent. Like, we've got to stop these perpetuating stereotypes. And on top of that, think about how gender relates to class, someone's colour, religion. It's all mm. impacted and it affects boys. And it has wider societal 
implications like when it comes to mental health like I've spoken before yeah but the other thing as well for girls empower them stop saying oh you're so pretty and you know when we see a baby because again like the research it's all everything we do by the way is led by research and what the child psychologists are saying and what the researchers are doing because it's really important to have that but telling a girl that her only asset or the biggest asset is her beauty is mm. not okay first of all you know it, it it's exacerbated now more than ever by social media yes you know instances of self-harm with girls are as young as seven not okay and it's again perpetuated by these stereotypes we want more women in uh leadership levels we want more diverse boards well if we're talking about that and we're talking about a diverse pipeline for our future workforce has to start young and that's why we focus on such a young age absolutely and and like you said the focus needs to be with both all genders like it can't just be absolutely you know and and it's so interesting what you said about starting in the womb because I remember when I was pregnant with my son I was told like oh you're blooming and I didn't tell anybody the gender so I didn't I I knew I was having a boy but I didn't tell anybody and they were like you're blooming your pregnancy's great blah 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 and I was like yeah like just kind of went with it and after having my baby I was told by so many people oh you were blooming because you were pregnant with a boy boys like give you the energy girls like there's apparent I I don't even know what the truth is well there's clean I don't think there's any truth in it but girls suck your beauty like there was this somebody that said to me like girls kind of because they need that beauty they take it from you and you know when you're listening to this going where where did, where did this come from? Like, how is this even a thing? But like you said, it starts at the womb. Like, for me, it Absolutely. did. And, and remember, we're, I'm from a South Asian community. And I'm, I'm speaking for both of us now. Yeah. We're from a South Asian community. And, you know, it is that infanticide, again, uh, uh, you know, it's against girls, young girls. is huge in India and Bangladesh, everywhere in the South um, Asian community. But... It's that, like, it's revered, these old cultures, these old stereotypes, right? And in effect, calling a girl, you know, a baby, kind of like a parasite, like, taking your beauty away. Yeah. It's, these, it's these innocuous but so important statements mm. that can change. And remember, they're microaggressions. Some of them are aggression aggressions, but it makes a massive impact to the way imagine that baby girl how she's going to feel when someone she overhears that or someone tells her that or they treat her differently it's not okay and like we talk about you know being good at academia and like I know growing up in the South Asian like you know with my mom like yeah you know you've got to study you've got to study hard and she also did this to me actually stereotype she said maths wasn't for me Mm. and that my brother was better at maths and science and leave that to him but I was better at English and humanities I got an A in maths but but to this day women women are more likely to have they call it maths phobia Uh, yeah check it out on radio four there's a women's app I mean plugging them but sorry (laughs) fine (laughs) if you want to listen to that um but it's not okay. It's these statements. And even now I'm like, oh, numbers. I mean, I've got over it, but it's still like, you know, that that ticking. It's it's 
it's so crazy it's so because I think it even comes down to things like DIY or learning how to use a tape measure that those images are automatically associated with men and male stereotypes and that is all numerical like there is an element of numbers in all of that and when it comes to more like you said more English more sort of like comms based work that then falls under the feet like women are good at communicating like they they know how to express their emotions but then that then also affects men like in terms of the the stereotypes affect both don't they I'm gonna use an example and I'm not gonna name names just in case um but I had a family member who was working at university a let's just say Mm -hmm. and found out that so women are more likely to be shoved with admin tasks by the way Mm. That's the woman's role. But also um, she found out that she was more uh, qualified and was up for a promotion, didn't get a promotion. But the person that was her, I suppose, junior than her, male, cis, white, was getting paid more than her and given a promotion above her. Yeah. We know the the gender pay gap is, that's a whole topic for another podcast I think and, oh, it, yeah. and it and it exists in education too like you'd think like I was so surprised oh, I don't know maybe it was my naivety coming from a public sector profession where salary is actually public right like everybody knows what teachers earn like it's in the public domain and yet there is still there is still a gender pay gap and I remember when I found that out or when I again like not going to name any names but colleagues etc people in other schools that I knew were being paid more I was like how how is this even happening like what but it all stems from history from younger ages and like we said we could do four podcasts out of this I think (laughs) 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 and like just (laughs) I wanted to ask like I know we sort of touched on it already but you, you talk about it from a primary school age and there will be secondary school like podcasts, I guess, are listened to more perhaps by older uh, students and secondary school teachers, too. Are there certain things that you would suggest to teens right now that they could be doing and teachers of teens could be doing to just start addressing these microaggressions? Like you said, language is a big part of it. And I, I remember like I'm guilty of it. I used to always again, I don't know whether it's guilt or just a thing. I used to always refer to my classes as guys. I used to be like, come on, guys, like, and guys was just, and then part of me, even like in preparation for this podcast, I was like, oh, should I have used that word? Like, because I I was talking about BBC again, I was listening to Woman's Hour yesterday, and um, it was with Alison Spielman, and they were saying that we can't use girls or boys anymore, we have to refer to kids as learners. So you'd always say learners. Do you think for secondary school, is there a particular approach that they could take with regards to language or just certain small things they could start doing in the classroom to tackle gender stereotypes? Sorry, that's a really big question. (laughs) It's it's really big, but um, you know what? I'm ready. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Uh, There's loads that secondary school teens can do teachers let's start with our students our learners and I think it is about empowering yourself with knowledge knowledge is power Mm -hmm. so do that reading there's so many cool books out there 
um, read and learn, I think is really, really important. Empower yourself with the knowledge and the language. And if you want some more resources, there's loads of recommendations. They're a bit more primary on our website, but um, have read articles, read mm -hmm. BBC News every day in the family and education sector, learn about the context. And I think the other thing as well is start openly having those conversations with your peers as well and explain to people why you want certain um, references or you don't want to use certain words. Take them on that journey with you because sometimes people get really aggressive, right? They're yeah. like, mm, mm, learners, is this too politically correct? What is this? Take them on that journey with you because the power is not only will you get a constructive conversation out of it, Mm -hmm. Make sure it's constructive, not like you telling them you have to do this because, but take them on that journey with them. And that when you're empowered with that knowledge as well, um, if you want, try and read um, the book. There's a book called Diversify by June Sarpong. So, yeah, um, but that's quite a good, good book that I um, really loved. But take them on that journey. Why and why it matters in terms of teachers. I think it's really important to get this as a part of the CPD training and to have workshops. So we offer workshops with our mm -hmm. primary school teachers because we want to put, we want to give the teachers the knowledge and the power that they need to be gender champions in their community. Mm -hmm. And really, really importantly as well, we often forget when we talk about schools is take the wider community and parents on the journey with you. Um, tell them why it's important. We've done that with loads of our schools. It's really important to take all types of families, not just one demographic, yeah. all types of families on that journey with you. Explain why, you know, when we talk about stereotypes and, you know, gender stereotypes in conjunction with race, class, religion, all of that important stuff and ability, take them on that journey as to why it's important. Tell them about the longer term benefits of how dismantling them is going to benefit not only the children but the wider community I think that's so important yeah. um, and I wanted to give you an example actually in our pilot uh, uh, we did a term's worth of lessons the children after the, the lessons we interviewed them by the way there was a 38% decrease in our pupils believing that boys or men will go on to have more important jobs than girls mm -hmm. and that's just jobs and when we think about diverse leadership, if they're saying it as young as that, and they're already saying, actually, no. And one girl actually said this to me, said, I can't do an important job because my brain's smaller. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this is the stuff that we have to unpick and we have to empower teachers, parents, wider community, but also the children themselves. And I think it comes down to reading education and, and speaking about it and also like one thing that's come up time and just kind of just thought of it from what you just said like time and time again from the podcast and talking to students especially is just how impressionable they are like they are so yeah. like even the slightest remark that that somebody might say as a passing comment you know it, whether that be a teacher a parent a member of the community something they've read or seen on tv will have a lasting effect on a child I don't know again I don't know the psychology or the research behind this particular comment but it does seem to have a, a much 
greater impact when you listen or read that or hear that as a child than it does when you're an adult from from just from talking to students and and adults and in that respect we also need to teach students what to read in a way like I know we want them to read widely but equally I think research methods and understanding what sources to trust and where to get your information and your advice from especially when social media and google are so powerful now you know oh my goodness I couldn't agree with you more you've like taken the words out of my mouth I love it I love it like (laughs) taking drop that there yep 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 um agreed because you know what it's really really sad but I'm going to use this as an example I didn't know the history of my own country Bangladesh my motherland until I was 21 so I knew about World War One and World War Two before I knew about my motherland and why that's important is how are you going to know where you're going to where you're going to if you don't know where you're from 100% like and that oh so important like that in terms of like generational trauma or even just your knowledge of yourself like identity like yeah I I couldn't agree sorry to interrupt there but I just was like I completely no I I and I think you know we start though we've got a whole lesson on identity we've got parent activity kits on identity Mm. where they take them home and do those Remember as well, a lot of our parents have digital poverty. Um, You know, we we always focus on technology, which is great. Obviously, we're doing this over technology. There's loads of parents that don't have access to that. And I think it's really important when we come think think about activities and conversations and dialogues, we include everyone. And And yeah, we have a whole lesson and theme centered around identity because it does start young. I remember being, honestly, at primary school and being like, why am I the only brown child? Like, what is it to mm. be brown? Like, I don't get it. Why am I different? And sometimes I think parents and teachers get scared to have those conversations. Like, oh, I don't want to be racist. And it's not being racist when you say, oh, we're, we're just different. It doesn't mean we're not equal, but we're different. Yeah. How powerful is that sentence? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 um, I read it in, oh, there's a book by, um, Uju Asika, who I've also had on the podcast. Um, it's called Bringing Up Race. And she starts one of her chapters with a quote by Adichie, which says that, um, I can't even remember the exact quote. So I don't know why I'm using this example, but she says that she's not so much a global citizen as she is Nigerian and knows how to live and be in other places. And I was like, that's it. That's exactly it. Like, I remember, you know, I'll put the, into the quote in the podcast notes, but like it is so, everything you said is just so true in this, whether you're male, female, whatever gender you identify with, whatever race, culture you identify with, you just need to learn that and be that to then be able to, like you said, be a leader in the workforce or not. If you don't want to be a leader, not every, this is the other thing that I think, education's perpetuating which is that we now all need to be leaders oh oh, I I can't agree with you more (laughs) by the way we so we have role model videos as a part of our curriculum like local people videoing themselves and it's so important because I I'm really passionate about this as well um you know my dad owns a restaurant and he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life right so working in the city and a certain job and being a lead I mean he is a leader of his restaurant but 
being working in a city and I'm talking about like Wolf of Wall Street boardroom all of that yeah that isn't one idea of success right we've got a stay-at-home dad we've got a male nanny all of you know plumbers everything it is what you want to be but explore what that is and I really really wish I had that kind of someone telling me that when I was younger yes yes do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. 100%, yeah. Like, and, yeah. And it is those microaggressions. I think microaggressions for me, more than the, like, kind of external, tangible prejudices, which kind of fed into my choices, career choices, life choices, which, yeah, I wish they'd been addressed when we were younger. But you're doing it now with schools, yeah. which is amazing. And, like, the, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's what... What I find really interesting is the home environment, because even with your work and my work as a teacher, that's the one area which fortunately or unfortunately, you just don't have control over. Do you know what I mean? Like as a teacher, you could see certain things in your classroom and you might be crying out to help that situation or but the nature of the system means that you can't, like there's a limit to how much you can do. So do you think like, I don't know whether this is a, I don't think this is a controversial question, but um, how, we, how <laughs> I said, should never start a sentence with that. <laughs> um, how can schools from your, like everything you've just said, how can schools and teachers manage parents <laughs> and the home environment to almost, open their minds and their eyes to this you know to to, to tackling gender stereotypes especially I guess if you come from a a home which does have those I mean I've been in parents evenings you know where I've seen situations and dynamics and I'm like it makes sense now and this dynamic is the problem and I shouldn't you know it is a problem right like the, the fact that you know you might see girls like just talking from an English classroom point of view discussion was by and large always dominated by my male students you know like um, writing however the patience to write or that beautiful handwriting was always credited to the girls you know like and you see that coming from the home environment too so again a very long-winded question but how can parents and teachers sorry from in from your experience address parents like how do we manage that relationship between community parents and schools so we we work successfully with the parent community through our program so we have a school element and a home parent activity kit element and the why it's worked and I think the advice that I would give is make sure that you're including the parents and the wider community on that journey with you. Mm -hmm. So we spoke to loads of different parents from a wide range, you know, from a wide background and listened to their concerns. And we actually then shift, our mission is to inspire limitless choices Mm -hmm. in children, particularly beyond their race, class, gender, religion, and ability. I mean, that's loads, but it's beyond all of these loads of, you know, intersectional characteristics yes and I hate using intersectional because it just isn't accessible but what I mean is we're human we're layered we're complex we're not just one thing so let's make sure that we're coming up with programs that cater to a diverse range of 
people in our community. Mm. And I think it's really important to take, don't be scared of the parent community, to have that open and honest, frank conversation with them. And I always, I mean, it's an age old saying, but it's like, fail to prepare and prepare to fail. Mm. Do your research, learn about those different communities and the issues that they're facing. And I come from a British Bangladeshi Muslim background, right? There's religion there, there's class, there's race, all of that stuff. If you want to talk about stereotypes, listen and read up about what that community has gone through, what their problems are, listen to the parents. So we spoke to quite a few parents and they were like, actually, we worried that it's about, you know, we're going to lose our child to something that we don't understand, right? And the context is... They're immigrants. They've come over. They've only known one thing. Um, if you've ever watched Bend It Like Beckham. I was just going to mention Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, <laughs> I was just, literally, it was on the tip of my tongue. Sorry. That, no, that's amazing. Um, it's that, right? There's a scene where she's like, you know, my, my parents, you don't understand. Yes. They're scared of losing me to something else that they don't understand. And it's that. Yes. But also empower yourself with that knowledge. Listen to what the parents are saying on the ground, because more often than not, especially when you think all oh, immigrant families or this family or that, your stereotypes, you'll actually unpick mm. them yourself. And you'll be like, whoa, actually, I've made a, an assumption here that isn't true. Most immigrant families, we found that they want their children to thrive. They want the open choices for them. But when but it's, it, it might be a question of semantics. So yeah. sex and relationship studies. Well, on primary school, of course, we're not teaching them about sex. They're five, starting at five, right? What you're teaching them is about relationships. What you're teaching them is about empowering themselves and understanding how their body and their mind works and how they can relate to others in the community. Of course, parents want their children to be able to do that. They've shipped, you know, they've come all the way here. Of course, they're not going to want to undo that. They've, they've yeah. come here because they want a better future for their children. That's just one population, right? I'm just giving an example. Yeah, yeah. That. But it goes back to do your research, learn about the community. Don't be like, oh, it's scary to ask and, you know, challenge your assumptions and be conscious of the language that you're using. And the other thing as well is actively listen to parents. Don't just nod and like, you know, sometimes when people listen to you and they're just nodding and they just want to say their point or, I don't know, get their self-righteous point in. It's like listen to what that person or the community is saying. And, 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 and actually feed on that. And that's what we did with our programme. Like, what do the parents want? Okay, this is great. Now let's like develop a programme that suits that beneficiary. And, it, and it's made a massive impact. And there's so many commonalities. I think yeah. just don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. And, and like you said, like through your programme and like from looking on your website, you also teach student, young people, uh, go, even as young as five, how like enable those conversations between the parent and the child because I found from my experience at school is that well secondary especially imagine teenagers they'd say one thing to you they'd go home they'd be a completely different person to their parent and at parents evenings especially and even even just going from classroom to classroom they're different kids and even from parents evenings it's like you need to you need to create a safe space for them to be able to have that conversation directly with one another, a place where they can feel confident in being vulnerable, you know, when they're talking about their gender identity or their identity in general and their individualism. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's 
really important. Like we were, we were. I mean, when we did our pilot, we had a group of teachers come to us, give up their uh, free time to help us co-create our school program, our lessons. That's that's how much this yes. programs like hours are needed. But we also found that there can't just be teachers can't do it all. No. You've got to have impact beyond the school gates. And like you just said, you can't do all the work at school and then it's unpicked at home. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and more than more than off, more often than not, parents just want the knowledge and to feel a part of that journey and to feel like most humans that they're included and you know we care about what they think and their opinions and where they're coming from and that, that's what it's about it's about the community and by extension then their own like kind of going back to the bend it like beckham reference i'm so glad you said that like that is like <laughs> made my heart happy um, so, so it's like literally it's that line where she says this is taking me away from everything they know like I memorized that line because it made a massive difference to my life growing up. Um, but no, just going back to <laughs> going back to parents, it's like they don't want to lose their own culture and identity either. You know, like I find that even through these discussions, some of the reason, and even with teachers, some of the reason why, like one of the questions which I know that we've covered already, which was teachers are scared they're scared to have these conversations and then by extension students are scared because students don't know how to even ask the questions like what language to use can they ask teachers about their identity and if they're feeling a certain way or identifying with different genders etc and I find with parents parents teachers and students a lot of the fear comes from they worry they might lose a sense of their culture and identity just by talking about it because they might worry about being shoehorned into a particular box I don't know if that makes any sense I don't know whether that no, it does yeah it, it it absolutely does and I think it's you know I grew up British and Bangladeshi that duality yeah and you're you know the um you have to kind of balance the two and I think let's let's just use all let's use a different example because we're, we're, I'm focusing on the immigrant population, but it's, you know, if you're white working class, you've got to, let's say, encourage those conversations through having an open and safe space for those conversations. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. speak up. And I'm talking to the students that are listening here. Mm. If you feel a certain way, if you are, and by the way, research shows that if you're, um, a teenager your peers start reinforcing how you feel and what you believe that you should be so if you're a boy it's not showing your vulnerability it's manning up and not showing your you know um emotions and 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 if it's a girl it's about looking a certain way speak up but also um you've always you can always speak to someone and make sure that you've got that someone in if you don't there are so many resources online. You've got the Samaritans. You've got loads of yeah. um, amazing uh, resources that you can use. But I think it's about having that safe space for parents, for teachers, for pupils to have those conversations. Absolutely. And moving it away from... Am I answering your question, by the way? Yes, 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 you are. You are. You are. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sometimes. I don't know, but it's a great conversation. So, yes, absolutely. Um, 
And I think it's really important to open up that space and, and be vulnerable if you're a boy, if you're a girl, if you're, you know, there's so many genders and identities out there. Tell someone as a student if you're young, because those conversations can be so powerful and they can help you in your future. A parent, if you are concerned, talk to someone, talk to the teacher, talk to the school. And if you're a school, find out the resources. There's so many rich resources out there. Mm. Um, especially primary schools we've got loads on our website but if you're um a secondary school there's loads you're you you know there's the nspcc there's loads and it's really important to just make sure that you're having open and safe spaces because it goes back to the individualism we've got to just stop being so black and white and i'm not just talking about skin color like you've got to be this box you've got to fit into this box and you've got to be this in the UK, especially secondary school children, are one of the most unhappiest. Yes. Yeah. How are children going to learn if they're not happy? How are they going to grow and thrive if they're not happy? Right. And it's and it baffles me when we're like, yes, sacks, GCSEs, blah blah blah. Yeah, of course that's important. Yes, we know that. But you know, I I did well in maths. Doesn't. But that doesn't make me deal with I don't know the microaggressions I have to deal with every day yeah you know someone getting my this this is a true story this happened this morning as I picked up my coffee I got called a new name my name is on by the way for all the listeners on my necklace um it's Bilkis spelt how you uh, say it how you see it put it on my necklace so people you know (laughs) and I still got called what was it Belkathar oh my gosh yeah those are the microaggressions that my maths and my English lessons did not prepare me for and imagine if I wasn't me right and I'm less resilient or I'm this or I'm that or you know maybe I'm having an off day how do we equip our children our young people to like deal with that especially you know and there's a hierarchy of things especially if you're white working class and you have a certain accent if you're brown and you look a certain way if you're black or whatever we've got to change we've got to start Mm. listening to what our students want but also empowering them with the life skills that they need to go on and thrive just to be able to adult well like that's like that was like the tagline for school should be like in terms of how do you adult like in this world that we are now how do you and it is and it just talked Going back to the, I know like we've kind of digressed, but it's all really, really good. And I know you've got other things to do, but I just want to like kind of say this point about Romeo Romeo and Juliet, because talking about the curriculum, there was this, I wrote a blog about Shakespeare being irrelevant. And the response that I got was just insane because I was like, I don't hate Shakespeare, FYI. It's just that I just don't think he is relevant to be compulsory on the curriculum anymore and part of that stems from the prejudices the microaggressions yes it's beautiful language and it does brilliant things in many ways but teaching Romeo and Juliet year in year out there is a line where Romeo says that Juliet made him too feminine and that sort of leads to I can't remember the exact line but it is along those words that Juliet affected his masculinity which then leads to his downfall blah 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 that's one little thing 
That's one little line. However, it does perpetuate microaggressions subliminally, subconsciously, long term. It's a play that kids will be doing age five. They'll be like, they. it's now been brought down to Romeo and um, Macbeth. All of it. Like, sorry, this is me going off on an English teacher rant now. But it, oh. they, they do. <laughs> I love it. I can add to that. I studied, I um, actually studied Othello. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it perpetuates the whole race. It's mm -hmm. racist. But also, you know, it's a barbaric moor. Yes. You know, taking away the alabaster. Her, her skin is literally described as alabaster-like marble. <laughs> and then you realise when you're teaching that, that's the ideal of beauty from a young mm -hmm. age. And then you're like, oh, I'm really brown. Like, I'll never be white, right? Yeah. And is there something wrong with me? And also, none of the characters I can relate to. Not really. I, You know, I was 13 or however old I was. Um and you know the same goes so i also studied anthony and cleopatra yeah, yeah 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 oh cleopatra she's that tawny little broad yeah. that's like the white man and it's like why why even if we do study it why don't we look at the context right? mm -hmm. that it was more racist it was okay to be racist it's not okay now why don't we talk about that yeah i why i Honestly, honestly, like, I feel like I could talk to you about this forever because I could not agree more. Because even when you teach context, the context that you teach is patriarchal, gendered, colonial, favouring particular narratives. Like, why can't we just teach context from different truths? Right. No. Shakespeare's dead. He can't yeah. apologise. Right? <laughs> so, let's... <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But we can empower children because you know what happened? And now we're talking about it. What happened is I thought, oh, okay, this is the ideal of beauty. And all of these microaggressions and subconscious mm. elements and stories and, and themes you pick up, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Muslim. Mm -hmm. He's a Moor. He's a Muslim. He's devious. He's angry. He's aggressive. Think about all the stereotypes for angry black people. Not yeah. okay. Right. Uh, yeah. And let's change that. Let's talk about the context, but how it's changed now. How do we? Ah, uh, it's honestly. I think as well, it makes it more relevant to, to children. Not children, but when I'm talking children, I'm talking primary school. Yeah. Not yeah. Fellow at primary school, but if you do, <laughs> well, maybe you do. Actually, there is a fellow for primary. You know, there's yeah. <laughs> for primary school children, but you know. Pick on those themes. Mm. There's loads of sexism in Shakespeare. Like, oh, why also aren't we talking about other amazing authors like Rumi? Absolutely. Yes. What an amazing poet. Yes, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And it's one of those things where your time as a teacher is so sucked. Like you just said, you're so, your time, we can't just expect teachers to take full on responsibility for all this is a community effort and if all of a sudden you're saying to teachers right you need to teach more um diverse texts more equitable uh, make the curriculum more accessible more um yeah inclusive etc cetera, etc cetera. okay so how where's the time where's the resources where's the money where's the strategy where's all of this stuff that goes in behind it whilst teachers are still on the front line teaching you know, um, but no, I feel like, oh my God, this conversation is giving me life. But no, <laughs> I agree. 
And I want to tell teachers here, like, I don't want what I say. This is a message to the teachers out there. I'm not being didactic and, author, you know, and, and saying this is the way you need to do it. But these are suggestions that help open up a curriculum and make it relevant to all different mm. types of students. That's so important. And not only are they going to learn something in the class, they will take those life lessons beyond the classroom. And that's what a, an amazing teacher does, right? And that's what all teachers want to do. You don't Absolutely. just want to teach a static subject and be like, oh, I'm just going to teach this book and this text. You want to bring it to life. And, you know, one of my friends who used to, she used to be a phenomenal teacher. She did, um, what did she do? Oh, I can't remember. I think it was Macbeth. Right. But made all the students do it from... Um, in a, in a rap form right and made yeah. it more relevant right yeah and one person was from lady macbeth's view one person was from macbeth's view like mix it up like you know stormzy is amazing yeah. by the way <laughs> yes. because not only is he accessible uh, you know amazing and just you know i saw him he's uh, just amazing yeah. i really want to be his friend so yeah please, i know <laughs> please please like please um but, you know, I'm not going to beg. If Stormzy, um, if you're listening, Stormzy, if you're listening, <laughs> please just ping us an email. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not begging for friends. No. We're not begging. <laughs> to use the term, not beg friends. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, murky books, are, they're amazing mm-hmm. because it's about getting loads of different writers and loads of different stories shared across... Um, the communities yeah because the power of storytelling everyone has a story to tell we should listen to all of them absolutely so i think um to my teachers it's not you know don't freak out it's not me saying oh this is wrong and you've got to do this but there are small things that you can do like i don't know signpost your students to murky books loads of books out there that are amazing books um have some classroom rules and set some context setting a context for shakespeare will take you what 10 minutes mm. and that those 10 minutes might have lifelong like power beyond the school classroom but also lifelong lessons there exactly and no, that's I, couldn't what I, more. I couldn't agree more and I think just I feel like we've touched on so much there which is really really important but just I wanted to come like ask you about like these uncomfortable conversations and like you're saying opening them up with parents one of the things that's come up quite a lot recently with regards to um gender and gender identity and pride month is the teaching around lgbt plus education which certain communities certain uh parents have decided to opt out of opt their children out of due to beliefs and values and it's a difficult that's a very difficult um, line to manage, I'd say, like as a teacher, uh, because you, especially if it's if for you, you've always grown up in an environment where beliefs haven't affected your feelings or your um, views uh, about certain different communities. How how would you like? How would you be you advise schools to manage that? Because that in itself is education that students need parents are opting out they have every right to opt out how can we manage that especially when it's a belief system that we are addressing good question I think it goes back to talking to the parents and Mm -hmm. listening to the community but also taking them on that journey um, with you 
And for us, we did that. Um, and I'm from a British, remember, I'm from a Muslim background. Mm -hmm. So it is a really, you know, sensitive topic. And I think it's about listening to that community and taking them on that journey. For us, for example, I've used this before, but think about the longer term benefits you're teaching. Mm -hmm. So for example, at primary school level, there was a lot of objection to relationship and sex studies. At primary school level, loads of uh, parents were like, you're not teaching my child about sex. Well, if you go into it, it often than not, it's a question of semantics. Yeah. Because there's no sex isn't being taught at primary school level. It's about empowering children to understand their bodies, their minds, and how to relate to one another and, and how the community and society works, right? Absolutely. And that's so important. And how do they navigate that? How do, how do they navigate that? Um, and that's that's what it comes down to. So listen to those parents, allay some of those fears by doing your research as well. Research what it is about um, the a, a certain group might object to. Research yeah. about it. Absolutely. Listen to them. Yeah, and come up with a solution that um, allays some of those fears, but also benefits the child because. At the end of it, we all want to have our children be happy, healthy, and to thrive. Absolutely, yeah. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what religion, what culture, it's all, that's, that's the essence of it. So I think it's really about that and, and, and talking and opening up those conversations. And like you um, said, values as well, you know, like the kind yeah. of overarching values. You, values don't need to be specific to a belief system or specific to a classroom we're talking about values in the wider society and the wider community exactly and you know how do you navigate that not only after school how do you navigate that as you go into your teens mm -hmm. what when you go into university if you want to when you go into your first job yeah this is about navigating the world yes and I think sometimes people get into rabbit holes and I think you can you can navigate that by opening up conversations and don't be scared to ask like what is it yes it affecting you ask Absolutely. the community yeah what and take them on that journey with you yes. like okay and and you know maybe it's a parents evening workshop i don't know not a parents evening as in you know yeah but yeah. a workshop maybe you can invite parents to come to that absolutely um, one of us course did that and that was really powerful mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, I think we're always surprised by how receptive parents are, you know, and I think it's about the whole point of, you know, school, school should be is to sort of unite, like with voices like yours, with what UBU is doing, um, getting schools, parents and students to come together to say, you're not working against one another, but the cliche, you are literally working with one another. Like that, that That's it. Like, school needs to reflect that wider world that you're going to go into. I, I love that. And I think the other thing as well is as a school, I found this really weird now I'm, I'm talking, you know, working with schools more. Mm. Schools don't speak to one another. No. You might be down the no. road. Might yeah. be opposite. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Remember there's power in numbers. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as, as a head teacher, why don't we get a conglomerate, conglomerate love that word, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Head teacher, mm. head teachers, and 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 sh 
work as a group, a yeah. collective group for a collective common purpose. I agree. I think it's a like that's a I could talk to you. I'll talk to you about that offline in terms of the reasons <laughs> I like because it, it is it's like it's an echo chamber culture. It's time time versus money culture. It's a schools are. I love schools, obviously. I just see them as a second home. It's where I've had my career. It's what I do. But I find them very reactive. Like, we're very reactive in schools, you know? And then that doesn't, like you said, address the root problem. However, that's where organisations like yours are so important. And that is why schools need to get in touch with you. And I would love to, because this this conversation is amazing. And I cannot wait to push it out uh, to schools and students um, just because it makes what can seem uncomfortable and also the unknown when it comes to gender and gender diversity and in gender inclusion, it makes it comfortable. Like this conversation has made that possible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think sometimes people are like, oh, I can't be politically correct or this or that. Or remember, we're all humans. As long as you go in with good intentions, like, and, and also if you do fail, fail fast, learn from it. Yes, absolutely. Say, you know, apologise yeah. and, and, and learn from it and grow. But I think it's about having these conversations. But I, I wanted to just, before we finish, like, when you're talking about when schools, they think about time, money, and they're reactive, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it saving time and money, being a collective power can help with those issues, right? Absolutely, yeah. And divide and, you know... I hate using it, but divide and conquer. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can share the workload. That's a better way of looking at it. You can share the workload, the time. But also, if you're in the same community, you've got the same parents, you've got the same, you know, community of parents that you're talking to or families, the same social issues, the same financials, political issues that you're dealing with. Have that collective power. And honestly, I think there's going to be, I can't wait. I mean, I, I yeah. That's that's my 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 last little thought there. No, I think it's so important, and you know, definitely something that we will talk about again um, because oh. it's it because it by extension, your work that you're doing does then have an impact on those kind of what might be seen as top level decisions and strategies, and you know, and I've spoken to students about this. This is what's so interesting is that people at different levels of the food chain or whatever you want to call it are saying the same thing so it's like okay so how do we actually now come together like you're saying and make this difference so that it's sustainable so that it's lasting so that future generations as well as current generations can benefit from the work that you're doing the works that school the work that schools want to do and what students want to learn this is what students want to do <laughs> exactly and the other thing as well when you were talking about like secondary school children want this like we've seen more than ever they've become activists yes like not, not the way that I you know when I was younger I wasn't doing it you know you know what I mean I yeah mean, just about completing my work yeah. and then what she senders whereas like here we've got activists yeah and absolutely. it's like something that we're, we're developing and doing is getting secondary school students becoming champions of our program so up skilling them in our content in diversity and inclusion mm. not only do they learn but then they can give back to the primary school community and mentor them. That's so important when we talk about, you know, how do we get 
schools involved? How do we get pupils involved? Because they've got got school councils. Their mm. voice matters. Absolutely. Like, they want to be empowered. Like, how do we not just... Yeah, you're right. It goes, uh, you know, bottom down, but also... Bottom down. Bottom <laughs> down, but also yeah. bottom up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's really, really powerful. But I do want to say before I go, like, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, thank you for, like, I am so grateful for your time and this, like, honestly, amazing conversation. Like, because I feel like it's something that I hope schools, teachers, sorry, I say schools, teachers, parents and students all listen, that they could listen to this conversation together and just ask one another, like, what do they think? What is gender I like diversity what does it mean to tack what gender stereotypes do they recognize and know about and know that the conversation can happen and you um, are there to support them <laughs> I am um you know I'll just do a little shameless plug at the yes end. no I was just going to ask you if people want to find you where do they look where can they find you um, so we've got a website www.ubus.properly.co.uk and you can follow us on twitter and instagram um, on UBU Club. So we are everywhere. And then, you know, I'm always, if you want to get in touch there, just email us and we'll be in, happy to have that conversation. But I think, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I could talk to you forever. Likewise. Uh, and I hope that, you know, to everybody listening, that this has been a useful and fruitful discussion. Um, we at least, you know, you've got, we've plugged Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah. Stormzy. <laughs> we've also got Stormzy in there. Stormzy as well. And, <laughs> and Women's Hour. Yes. So we've got a good mix <laughs> to suit all tastes. Absolutely. So, I love it. No, and I will tag all of your, so within the podcast, I'll tag all of your social handles and your website um, and where people can get in touch with you, so teachers, community, like you said, like youth workers, um, students yeah. themselves, um, because it's so important and it's, just, and it's work that we need to be sustainable for the long term. Thank you so Absolutely. much, Bilkis. It's been so lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please do leave us a review and share it with your friends and family so they can also learn all about what school should be. Until next time, speak to you soon.